So before the service, um, I prayed that uh, although Jason and I have never led a worship service together, that uh, the Lord would just unite us together and uh, that we would be able to lead in harmony. And that happened so much from the first song that I forgot to introduce him. <clears throat> it's like, this is just normal. Like, this is just happening. So anyway, this is Jason Fogdy, yeah? yeah. And... Uh, Jason uh, used to be on staff at our church many years ago before I got here, and uh, I've had the privilege to meet him a couple of different occasions, but uh, really glad that he and his daughters uh, were willing to come and lead us this, uh, this morning. Uh, it's so good to have, yeah, just a lot of talented people uh, that are willing to come in and, and do a sub-gig at a little church like ours, so uh, sweet. Thank you, Jason. Um, <laughs> Acts chapter 12 is where we'll be today. I like to, uh, I like, maybe you've noticed those have been around a lot while, I like to read scripture <laughs> uh, publicly, you know, and I, part of that is, I think, you know, we, those, yeah, we know this, right? You know, like, it's a rare, it's a rare uh, era that we're in, and we you kind of see the big picture of human history, um, that all of us have at least one, probably multiple copies of God's word in our homes, whether we open them or not, uh, it's amazing, uh, because most of the history of humanity, we have not had just individual copies. Uh, and so as a result uh, scripture uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament was not something that we would read on our own. It's something that we would hear when we gathered together with the people of God. And so that's part of why I like to read scripture, because the reality is what I have to say about scripture really has very, you know, it's really not that important. What I think is more important is for you guys to hear scripture and even for me to hear it with my ears as I speak it out loud. Uh, there's something that the Holy Spirit does with that. And so um, I know sometimes it's lengthy passages that I read, but I hope that uh, you can uh, really open your heart and listen to what the Spirit may be speaking to you, even in that moment, because that might be the most important moment of the entire sermon, uh, the entire service, your entire day. Um, so... Hear the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And we saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, "'Get up quickly!' 
and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them, and it's on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people. And from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said no to her. You're out of your mind. But she, can't, but she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. By the word of but the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This historical event happened about 12 years after the resurrection of Jesus. The church has been growing for about 12 years. We've seen as it's grown already in Acts how persecution began from the Jewish people, from, the, from Israel, right? From, from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees, from all of, them, all of the leaders in the church. They, they, they began per persecuting. We, we saw already how Saul was the, the, one of the prime uh, persecutors, oversaw the stoning of my, uh, Stephen. We see how now there's been a shift. The persecution is increased. For 12 years, the persecution so far has been kind of more just a, a, a religious debate within the church, right? Within the people of God. But it's no accident that right before this 
martyrdom of James by King Herod that the first Gentile came into the kingdom of God. It's as if all of a sudden, that, that time when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, which we talked about last week, that, 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 that time when he preaches and the Holy Spirit pours out on all who were there, Gentiles, that all of a sudden, like this movement that we find in chapter 11 for the first time is called Christians, that this movement has moved from just a religious sect to something that now is beginning to impact the authorities of the Roman Empire. It's not just the Jews who are being converted and, and having this wrestling match of debate of whether or not Jesus was truly king or not. Now there's Gentiles who are proclaiming Jesus is king. But with that historical notion or idea or understanding, I think we have to be careful not to lose the tension that lies within this passage, this chapter. We, uh, we in our reading of Scripture, especially those of us who read you know, uh, the, through the Bible in a year, we can, we can rush through some of these chapters and we, we can just kind of just gloss over certain things that happen and, and we don't even question it. We just kind of are just reading it, right? And, and that's okay. God, God uses that as well. We get that bigger picture, the meta narrative, if you will, of scripture. But when we slow down, we take a moment, even, even just me in reading this, uh, the, the, the first couple of verses, we just kind of quickly kind of just go over and it quickly runs into this Peter and this prison thing. And, and then at the end, this King Herod cool thing, you know, where God like, you know, strikes him down, right? You know? All this kind of stuff, but we, if, we, if we don't stop, I think we'll miss a tension here that is actually a tension that we all have dealt with in our life and we see throughout Scripture. And the tension is simply this. James was martyred, but Peter was miraculously saved. Why? I mean, Peter's the leader of the church, right? Really? I mean, James is a pretty important guy too. Well, maybe the church just prayed for Peter and not James. Really? You think that? I don't think so. Matter of fact, I'd suggest that, you know, at the beginning, when Peter first gets into prison, he's prayed for but the praying that's happening at the end when Peter shows up at the house may not have been about him at all. They may have been praying about something else. I think we have to be careful not to run past this tension because I think it's a reality that we live in. And we see it throughout Scripture. Where these times where like it's, it seems arbitrarily choice, you know, this arbitrary choice that God makes. Like I'm going to let James get martyred, but I'm going to save Peter. Not just because of some kind of circumstances that just kind of play out. No, no, no. Miraculously step in and save Peter. But let James just die. Maybe it's not that extreme for us in our lives today. Maybe the tension is just simply in receiving blessings versus receiving suffering. 
I don't know about you, but I know, I know a lot of people in my life, several good friends. live a life with so much suffering. And when I compare it to my own, I just go, why? I've certainly experienced suffering on my own. And even in that, there's some times that I go, why? <laughs> Why is James martyred, but Peter miraculously saved? Why? This is a question that comes up over and over again, I think, for us as Christians. We're offended. There's part of us that's offended by the inconsistent parenting of our Heavenly Father. And wait a second, Lord. What you, do, what you did, wait, that's not how you treated this child. Why are you treating me differently? I want what they have. Or, why, Lord, why are they suffering so much? Why am I blessed? That doesn't make sense. I know your kids probably have done it. My kids, I remember raising them, right? You know, my oldest, right? The oldest is always the biggest there. Because they, like, get nothing, right? And then, you know, the ones after that, they're like, you know, I remember, like, the cell phone thing, right? Like, our son, he didn't get a cell phone until he's, you know, I don't know, 20. Uh, but, you know, our youngest, she, like, when she was 12, she had her cell phone, right? And, like, that's not fair get a phone until I was like, you know, that kind of thing, right? Like, they're always comparing themselves to others, right? And, and, and we do the same thing sometimes with God, right? I mean, I think there's, a, there's something in us that recognizes this is not fair. Like, it's not fair that this person gets this blessing and I get this suffering. It's not fair that, that you're not treating us the same. For many of us as Christians and just as human beings, we're in competition with each other. Sometimes it's just about jealousy. Well, wait a second. How come? What? I want what they have. I mean, who, why didn't I get that? I mean, I'm just as good as them. I mean, come on. What, what do they do that makes them so special, right? I mean, this, this jealousy thing. Like, we're, we're comparing ourselves to each other all the time. What, does this person get this outpouring of the Spirit? And I just, I just get, you know, I don't know, I just get mercy. Like, what's up with that? Like, I have to be merciful to everybody? And, and they get all these cool things? Like... I think sometimes we as Christians get stuck in meritocracy mindset. And it makes sense. We're in America. It's a meritocracy, right? Where, you know, if you work hard, you get rewarded. The, the ones who are most talented, they get the, they get the, you know, they, they get the, you know, they get the great, the breaks. And this is how we view God. Well, wait a second. I've, I've done my time. I'm at church every week. I'm praying. I'm reading your word. Like, wh why? Like, I worked hard raising my kids. Why are my kids struggling now, but their kids aren't? I know what kind of parent they are. <laughs> this is not fair. This is the passage we read at the beginning of the service states quite clearly. 
God is not unjust. He's sovereign. And he will have mercy on who he chooses to have mercy. And he will have compassion on who he chooses to have compassion. It's a hard truth to embrace, but it's one that's communicated over and over again through the history of God's people. And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it continues to be a tension for us. But understand this, that all of us, he equally died for. We are all equally adopted into his family. We all are equally filled with his spirit. We all are equally saved. And praise the Lord, we all will equally be resurrected from the dead. As Christians in this world filled with tension, trouble, division, suffering, pain, we have to learn to embrace all of life. Whatever comes, whether suffering or blessing. We have to learn to suffer without it disrupting our thanks, our faith, and our hope. And we have to learn to receive blessing without it sparking presumption, arrogance, and selfishness. The church is an example here in chapter 12 of those who respond to suffering. They've lost Peter, or they've lost James. Peter's in prison. And, 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 and I want to point out that, you know, this is 12 years in. And notice how few stories we have in the beginning of the church here of actually God stepping in and doing miraculous things. You know, I'm not saying that he didn't do more than what was recorded here. He certainly did. But I also want to point out the fact that I think there is so much going on. There is so much persecution that they've already experienced from the church, from the Jews, that where God has not stepped in and done anything miraculous. I would like to suggest that their prayers at, or their response at the end, that Peter is actually there. Like, no, 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 no. That's not Peter. You know, maybe it's his spirit because they're assuming he's dead already. So I would like to suggest that the church is actually, you know, they've kind of like, yeah, they're going through the motions of praying for him, but they don't have much hope that he's actually going to be saved. Why would they do that? Because in their experience, most of the time, they've not been saved. They've spent time in prison for years and years and years. And then again, I mean, persecuted, but also martyred. It would be a false perspective to think, oh, well, yeah, it'd be easy to be in the first century Christian because the Holy Spirit was just doing all this stuff and he was just making everything easy, right? And the, there was all these miracles that were happening and he just kept st stepping in and saving them from persecution like they did with Peter. I mean, imagine you go to prison, you don't have to worry about it. Ah, oh, an angel will show up and get me. No, there's one story, right? A couple of stories in Acts about 
God stepping in and bringing him out of prison. But it's not every time. You think Peter was the only one ever in prison and Paul was the only one ever in prison? Oh, a bunch of Christians were in prison. But they're an example, I think, for us as well that how do we respond when life is really, really hard and we're experiencing suffering? What happens internally with us? What happens to our faith? Is our faith disrupted? Is our, is our hope disrupted? Is our thanksgiving disrupted? I, have, I feel like I have a hard time speaking to this particular perspective because I feel like I've not suffered to the level that I, I just, like say, some of my friends have. And so I, I feel very hesitant to, to suggest certain ways that we should respond in suffering. But, but I just also say, you know what? God's in charge. <laughs> and he can enlighten me as he desires. And maybe these words don't make any sense. And if that's so, then you can let go of them. But if the Holy Spirit speaks, then by means listen I think when we suffer we've got to the first thing we have to make sure we do is to give thanks that's 1 Thessalonians 5.18 right in all things give thanks you know James 1 right you know, nobody likes it and consider it pure joy my brothers when you face trials we have to give thanks. We have, and that is oftentimes the first thing I think in my own life, in the small sufferings that I've had, I've seen that that's the first thing that goes. As soon as my life gets hard, I stop getting, giving thanks. I, I start zeroing in on my circumstances and oh, poor is me. How horrible am I? Look at this horrible thing. Well, God, why are you doing this to me, right? I lose sight of his blessings. I lose sight of his goodness. I lose sight Of who he is and what he's done for me. So I think Thanksgiving is a key thing that we need to have in our hearts in order to respond to suffering. But second, I think we need to also have hope. We need to cling to hope. Again, I, I, this church, I think, has started to lose some of that hope. Now, they, they certainly have prayed, right? And there's hope and prayer. But, but I think that I sense there's a little bit of like, they're starting to let go. Like, there's so many people that have been put in prison and we're starting to see this, these persecutions just increase. And, and I think it's starting to go, oh, I don't know. I mean, oh yeah, we'll pray for them. But I just, you know, I don't have much. We gotta keep, we gotta hang on to hope. Not just for eternity. We always have hope for eternity. We need to cling to that. But I think hope for our circumstances right now. That we wouldn't let go of the fact that he can and may still step in and totally change everything. That an angel might show up, knock us on the side and say, get up. It's time to go. Your suffering is over. That we, in our prayers, can't give up asking. Asking him. The good, good father, if it be his will, please, Lord, would you, would you consider changing my circumstances, healing this relationship, healing my body, healing my heart, healing my family, whatever it is, would we not just, we got, we got to be careful not to give up. 
that we would continue to pray, continue to ask, continue to have hope that he's good and he may indeed may step in at any moment. But even if he doesn't step in now, I am going to be healed. All is going to be set right. Everything is going to be as it should be eventually. I think the third piece here is faith. That we would cling to faith. Faith in him. That he is trustworthy. And that no matter what my circumstances are, he is with me. No matter what, he's with me. He's adopted me into his family. I'm his. And he is mine. The I wonder in the economy of God if the greatest in his kingdom are not the ones who are up front blessed beyond measure in this world but if the greatest in the kingdom of God are the suffering saints They remain faithful to God. I think this is part of what caused the church to explode. Because in the midst of deep persecution, they didn't give up their faith and hope in God. I feel part, like part of the emotion that I'm feeling for those who suffer is maybe a bit of an expression of God's heart as well. You need to know he sees you if you're in the midst of suffering. And he is so, so sorry for what you're going through. He loves you. He's with you. He sees you. And he's so proud of your continued trust in him. King Herod is a clear example of a poor way to respond to blessing. <laughs> this is such a great story. <laughs> King Herod, we see, takes the credit. Now, he's, you know, in this high position, you know, and he's got this, you know, all, you know, all this authority, right? And he's got all this wealth, right? And he takes the credit, right? So much so, he gives this great speech, and, and people are like, oh, it's a God. It's not a man. It's, that's God. He's amazing. Oh, my gosh. And, and maybe they're being a bit facetious, right? You know, because they're trying, you know, to appease him so that they can get some of it. But he just takes it all in, just lets it all, yeah, and he takes the glory. 
we, I think, I know in my life, man, this is convicting. <laughs> Too many times I have done what King Herod did and took the credit and took the glory. I'm getting this amazing blessing because look how good I am. That's because I, you know, I just so close to Jesus, right? You know, I've done all these great things. And so he's like, yeah, you're just a great son. Here you go. Hey, you're, the, you're my favorite son, matter of fact, right? And I just, I just take it, right? And we've got to learn how to receive blessing and not allow it to turn into presumption. To think that, well, I should, yeah, this makes sense. I'm getting blessed because I deserve it. Matter of fact, God, you should keep blessing me. Is this all you got? Really? Huh? Come on. You're holding back on me? Come on. I'm your favorite, remember? And how do we do that? How do we fight presumption? Again, I think it comes down to gratitude and thanksgiving. I, I praise the Lord that his spirit has sparked this in me over recent years more and more. And, and I find myself thanking God for such small things. I mean, just getting up in the morning, just having a car that, yeah, it's not pretty, but it still runs, right? I mean, having just... A building, right, that's out of the elements, like having a house, like that is, uh, I can't believe I have a house, right, that's kind of like mine, you know. Uh, Thanksgiving, gratitude, it's how we fight against that presumption. As soon as we stop becoming thankful for the things that we have, then we're in danger of that presumption. And so if you're getting blessed like crazy, if you've lived a blessed life, then are you thankful? I mean, I'm not just talking like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I give thanks every once in a while. No, 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 no. That's not like literally recognizing every blessing, everything that God chooses to give you or pour out into your life. It is not deserved. It's because of his amazing grace, his amazing mercy. which leads to the next thing that, that blessing can spark, and that's arrogance. And of course, the response to arrogance is humility. Understanding God's grace. I think Psalm 8, every time we experience a blessing, our mind should go to Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? I've said this before, but I feel like another thing that the Lord has been blessing with me, me with recently is an understanding of my depravity. sinful and messed up I am, how undeserving I am of any of his goodness. I don't understand. 
I don't understand why he's blessing me like he is. I'm finding myself shocked more and more as I walk through life. I'm like, what, what, Lord, how can I, not another blessing? Really? How, How is that possible? I don't deserve it. I, 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 I've done nothing for it. I, I, I mean, I just need you. You've died for me. That's enough. The third thing that I think is sparked by blessing, if we're not careful, is selfishness. And if I'm honest, this is probably my greatest struggle. God pours out blessing, you go, oh, this is awesome. (laughs) Maybe we kind of go, oh, I don't really deserve this, but we kind of go, oh, oh, cool, what do I got to do with this, right? I got this amazing blessing, so let's see, how can we take advantage of this? Oh, we can do all kinds of fun things, right? You know, and we, we we can spend it and hoard it on our own life. Become selfish with it. It's, you know, this is my blessing. I, I've got this. this. It's mine to control. I get to do what I want with it. This amazing gifting that you've given me, I get to use it in my way and in the way I want to. The, the healthy family and the, and the great family that we have. Well, no, we're just going to, it's just us. We don't let anybody else into this family. This is our family. We're a great family. We don't want to, you want to mess it up. I mean, you have sinners in there? Oh my gosh, come on. <laughs> right? And so how do we respond to selfishness? How do we fix that? It's through generosity. And this is something the Lord, I think, has really been pushing on in me right now. John, you got to be more generous with what I've given you. I've certainly had the Lord teach me this over time in my life, but it's just, it's one of those things that he's pressing on again. Like, no, 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 you got to take this to the next level. What are you using the blessings that I've given you for? Are you just hoarding them? Are you just using them for your own benefit? The reality is God doesn't give blessings just for us. Blessings are meant to be passed on. They're meant to go through us to others. I love what, you know, Jesus says to his disciples when he sends them out. He says, freely you have received this salvation. Freely you've received the Holy Spirit. Freely you've received all these good things and salvation that you have. So freely give them. As you go out, as you share, freely give it away. Don't ask people to to pay you for what you're doing. Don't ask people to take care of you. You just go out and you give it away freely. For those of us who have been blessed, and I would say there's many of us in America who are blessed, where's your generosity level? Or how much are you using your blessing for your own good things, right? The things that you want. It's not that God doesn't want you to, to, he doesn't give you those blessings so that you can have what you want, but that's not just what it's about. It's about spreading it, to share it with the rest of the world. One of the verses that has convicted me over and over again is Luke chapter 12, verse 48b, where Jesus is telling this parable, and at the end of it, he says, to those who are given much, much is required. And I feel like that, for me, has been a life verse. Because I feel like he's blessed me beyond measure. 
And so I'm always, you know, kind of, he brings me back to the verse. He says, okay, Sean, you're blessed beyond measure. You've been blessed with much. What are you doing with it? Again, the, 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 the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, right? Haunting image at the end for the one who, who buried his talent. Buried his blessing. I think this was another reason that the church exploded in the first century. It's because wealthy people, people who had abundance, when they found Jesus, they started giving it away. This isn't just about finances but we would be wrong to exclude finances. And matter of fact, I think this is something the Lord's going to be pushing on in America. We have built up so much wealth. There's so much wealth within the church already that is untapped because we've been hoarding it. Because we've been holding it in to take care of our future. That's another sermon, but I'll... <clears throat> tweaked, tweaked enough, right? Yeah, in my own heart as well. There is a great reward for those who are generous. Because those who receive the blessings of God and pass them on to others, God knows I can continue to give them blessing. And in the economy of God, I don't know why this is the way he works. It just seems that this is oftentimes how it works out. There are some that he pours blessing into over to abundance. And they, though, are meant to be the form of blessing to those who don't have abundance. And so for those of us who have been blessed, let's not hoard it. Let's pass it on. It's not meant just for our goodness. It's meant for the whole church's goodness, the whole community's goodness, the whole world's goodness. But trust as well that as you pour it out, it's, you don't have to worry about not having enough. He will continue to bless it is the one who blocks the blessing from being passed on to somebody else that stops receiving. And so may we all be generous with whatever we receive. And here's the crazy, here's the crazy thing. In my life, some of the most generous people, and you guys know this, are who? The poor. The people that don't have much. But what they do have, they pass it on. Oh, church, may we pass it on. All right, worship team, come forward. Throughout Scripture, and here in Acts 12, we see the people of God face all kinds of suffering 
and even martyrdom. But we also see numerous encounters where God steps in to bless his people in abundance and sometimes even in miraculous ways. This pattern continues to this day. May we all, like Paul in Philippians chapter 4, learn to be content, whether in deep need or in lavish blessing. May we resist the temptation to give up hope, faith, and praise in the midst of our suffering, and instead to give a powerful testimony to the world through our faithfulness to God in the midst of suffering. And may we cling to gratitude, to humility, and to generosity in times of abundance and give a powerful testimony to the world through freely giving away what we have freely received. Church, will you join me in standing and continuing to worship in song? Oh, Lord. Yeah, you are king. You are holy. You are glory. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us, that you've laid your life down. And Lord, because you've laid your life down, we can lay ours down for you that you would be glorified, whatever that looks like, Lord, that we would be able to embrace and be content with whatever comes in this life, that if you will be glorified through our suffering, that we will embrace it. Lord, if you are glorified through us giving freely what we have received from you, then we will give it. Lord, it is all about you, and we are so blessed that you care that you think of us, that you created us, that you pursued us, that you died for us, that you adopted us into your family, that you have filled us with your spirit, that you've saved us, and that you will resurrect every one of us into the eternal kingdom to be by your side for the rest of time. Oh, thank you. Lord, help us, help us to walk in contentment. First Timothy chapter 6 teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about food, uh, words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, O woman of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight 
of the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue to worship, and so I'd like to keep this room in a worshipful state, kind of atmosphere. If you would like prayer, please come forward for prayer. Uh, We would love to pray with you for whatever the Lord's pushing on this morning or whatever else is going on in your life that you want us to come alongside you in. If you are ready to fellowship, then we encourage you to do so in the fellowship hall. If you are going to have conversations here, try to keep them to a whisper so that we can, those who want to continue to worship, can do so. Church, have a blessed rest of your day.